Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Classroom Matters podcast with me, your host, Christy Hool. And I am so excited for today's episode because I am going to be having a conversation with Sasha Graham. Now, Sasha is the founder of Tiny Ninja Books and is the author of Milo Does Not Like Mornings and Whitney Wins Everything. Sasha is a former executive at the Walt Disney Studios, and her writing has appeared in magazines, newspapers, and on television. Every book in the Tiny Ninja Books collection centers on the idea that we are each born with our own Tiny Ninja, who is the very best version of us, brave, strong, compassionate, and kind. Our Tiny Ninjas are always there for us. All we have to do is listen. Sasha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I really wanted to mention that I listen to your podcast a lot. And it always brings me this great comfort because it's always these really smart, thoughtful adults who are making it their mission to take care of kids. And I think that that is just the most important thing that we could do. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for spreading the word. And thank you to all of your other guests. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. Okay. So I want to dive in because I am obsessed with the tiny ninja inside of me. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love that. And I love the fact that your books not only are just truly fun to read, but it's really teaching someone to look internally at what makes them special and to kind of think in their mind that they have this little tiny ninja inside of them. So um, would you mind just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and kind of what led you to creating this tiny ninja series? Right, of course. So my background is in television and in film. So as you mentioned, I worked for the Walt Disney Studios for a long time. And I also did publicity for music and theater and so really um, engulfed in the arts something that I really love. A few years ago, my husband and I moved to Arizona with our three kids, and I was doing a lot of publicity and promotion for nonprofits here in Arizona. So, you know, Desert Stages Theater and Camelot Therapeutic Horsemanship, and it's work that I really, really love. But I also found that I had a little more time for writing. And so I decided to try to realize this lifelong dream I had had to publish a children's book. And sure enough, in 2018, we released, or 2019 rather, I wrote it in 2018. 2019, we released Milo Does Not Like Mornings. The next year, we released it in Spanish. And then, you know, as you mentioned, we just released Whitney Wins Everything. Mm -hmm. So how did you, okay, so let's talk about the ideas for these stories. Because I know that there are folks listening and they're thinking sort of along the same lines as you. They're like, I've always wanted to write a children's book. I've always felt like I had this creative side of me and this writing inside of me, but you actually made that happen. And so go back to the beginning for us and talk about just the tiny ninja idea and the characters themselves. Well, I think first of all, that you're exactly right, that the most common response I get when I tell somebody that I write children's books is, oh, I've always wanted to write a children's book and or I have this great idea for a children's book. And I love hearing people's ideas because I think that we are, most of us are creative beings, you know, that it's really fun to hear these stories. For me, I've always written for pleasure. So I've gotten paid for writing my whole career, but I've also always processed through writing. And what I found was that after I had my own kids, that I did it even more, that this was a way for me to really 
um, think about things that my kids were going through and things that I was going through as a parent that were all new to me. You know, most of us, when we have kids, like it's the first time we've ever done this. This is the hardest job we'll ever have. And we've had no training for it. Right. So uh, I w- found myself writing a lot, writing a lot of stories. And I have two boys and then a girl. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, my boys were five and three, and they, someone who shall remain nameless, introduced them to the time or to the Three Ninjas movies, rather. So, you know, these 1980s era Hulk Hogan, maybe 90s era Hulk Hogan movies, and the boys loved them. They loved pretending to be ninjas, but they needed a third ninja. So they decided that their baby sister was going to be their third ninja. And when I pointed out that at first, you know, she was going to be very small. They said, well, that's okay. She'll be our tiny ninja. So I started incorporating this tiny ninja into my writing. And at first it was sort of this imaginary character. And then sometimes it was their sidekick. And suddenly one day, you know, I was really thinking about all of these voices that we all have that are exterior all the time. And I thought, boy, you know, what if we listened to our interior voice? What if we trusted our own gut feeling and had faith in that voice as much as we have faith in these outside voices? And I thought, well, that's our tiny ninja. That's this fierce, quiet being that's always with us is this internal tiny ninja. Mm -hmm. And so do your kids now are they really super excited and proud of you that they, you know, their mother has these awesome books out that in some way really reflect who they are too. Is that like pretty exciting to them? I would hope so. <laughs> you know, kids, it's funny, isn't it? Because yeah. like our normal just becomes our normal. And so people will come up to them quite often and say, oh, your mom writes the Tiny Ninja books. I love those books. And they're like, yeah, that's what she does. And But the fun thing, you know, and really the surprising thing is that most of the time, our kids have no idea what we do, right? That sort of adult careers are off here. And then, you know, kids see just a tiny portion, hear a tiny portion. And with this, my kids are involved, you know, from the beginning to really, you know, through release and beyond, which that's really, that's been really cool. My daughter actually is doing a writing contest with me this weekend. We entered into this writing competition through NYC Midnight. And, you know, that's a direct result of her watching me do this and watching me be excited about this and wanting to try it herself. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I think that's so great because, you know, a lot of, a lot of our listeners are teachers or parents, and they work with, you know, elementary age students or middle or high school students. And, you know, I think sometimes that writing process, that pulling out that creativity from children, especially boys, sometimes Mm -hmm. can be a little daunting. And so I think that, you know, what you're doing and you working with your children sort of lends itself to allowing children to embrace the writing process. And so, you know, for the teachers and the parents that are listening that are thinking, man, what are some good ways or some good, easy strategies to get my students or my kids, even just the smallest way into writing and being creative? What would you, what kind of advice would you give them for that? Oh my gosh. So I did a visit to a school for Read Across America Week and they they have it set up so cool. They have a half day of school and they bring in all these authors and then you go and you visit all these different classrooms. So I visited five classrooms between kindergarten and third grade. And I brought in these picture cards that I got from um, 
you know, lakeshore learning. So I brought in his picture cards and I passed them out randomly to all the kids. And then I said, okay, we're going to build a story. And there are no wrong answers. You know, there were a few little parameters about staying appropriate, but I started it off with my card and I, you know, say I had a duck and I said there was a duck named Lucy, but she had a big problem. And then I would toss it to the next kid. And it was the first time that I had tried this and I thought this might, this might flame out spectacularly. You know, I, mean, I, I didn't know if I would have 30 blank faces looking at me and no, they were amazing. It was so much fun and it was so much fun to watch the very few kids in the classrooms who hesitated come into their own and listen to their classmates and then raise their hand to come back to them with this just outlandish, exciting twist of the story. You know, that suddenly we were in hot air balloons and we were flying over deserts and they were making friends with pickles. You know, all of these things that kids have these incredible imaginations and they just needed a little bit of structure in order to let it come out. And for somebody to say, there's no wrong answer here. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the there's no wrong answer here has really opened up you know, especially, you know, during COVID when we were all really struggling and teachers were working with parents and parents were having to become teachers and sort of take over some of these creative um, processes for, for children because they're at home all the time. But I think, you know, just them being allowed to be creative without there being a right or wrong answer. There is no grade for this. It's just let it spill out of you, whatever that might look like. And so what kind of an impact have you have you seen on students, especially talking about their internal uh, tiny ninja? Are you just seeing kids really sort of like light up when they talk about their tiny ninja? Because I thought about mine after I looked at your books and I, I knew I was going to get to talk to you today. I'm like, ooh, if my tiny ninja could talk, what would it say? So are you are you finding that a lot that kids are really sort of embracing these characters in their own tiny ninja? Well, it's so fun having a second book out now because now some of the kids who, you know, really loved Milo Does Not Like Mornings and were introduced to this idea of the tiny ninja and their best self and the tiny ninja being there to help you now are reading Whitney Wins Everything and they sort of have a jump start on what is happening here and they love it. They just love it. And they'll talk about their own tiny ninjas. And sometimes I'll say, well, what does your tiny ninja say to you? And they'll, you know, be so excited and say, oh, when I get nervous, my tiny ninja tells me that I'm so brave. And I mean, as an author, as a human, what could make me happier than hearing that? Yeah. Yeah, well, and it has to make you just so inspired to continue doing it um, mm -hmm. and just to be able to reflect on on some of the things that you've given to kids that read your books and adults that read your books. Um, I So I want you to give a little bit of a teaser um, about your two books. And I love um, Milo Does Not Like Mornings because it is so much my youngest son. It's not even funny when I read that book. I was like, oh my gosh, this has got to be his tiny ninja helping him in the mornings too. But can you give our listeners just a little bit of a teaser of uh, both Milo Does Not Like Mornings and Whitney Wins Everything? Absolutely. And you, to your point, I think that one of the magic things about writing these books has been for me to see the universality of these things, right? That, you know, as a parent, we can feel sort of alone, especially these last couple of years. You're not alone. So Milo Does Not Like Mornings is about a little boy named Milo, and he does not like to get up in the mornings. That is the bottom line. And one 
night before bed, his mom says, you know, I really need your help tomorrow morning. I have a really important meeting and I need you to get up and be ready to go. And he says, mom, you can count on me. And the next morning he doesn't get up. He snuggles deeper and deeper into this cozy cocoon of goodness. And his tiny ninja is there, right? His best self is there trying to wake him up. But Milo decides that he'll never get up, that he will teach the dog to fetch him snacks. He's going to stay in this bed forever. And he falls fast asleep. So it's up to his tiny ninja, you know, this best part of himself to get him up, get him ready so that he can help his mom out that morning. Whitney Wins Everything is about this really competitive little girl named Whitney, and she is just a ferocious athlete. She is a competitor. She wins everything. She has all the trophies. She's picked first for every team. And one day she's at school and she sees another little girl, Lily, handing out birthday invitations and realizes that she didn't get one. And when she asks a mutual friend, the friend says, well, they're going to have a lot of games at the party and you'll just win everything. And it's the first time that Whitney has realized that maybe the way she's always done things isn't serving her anymore. And so her tiny ninja starts sort of planting these little seeds with her, you know, that they go to soccer and she sees a boy who's terrible but having a great time. And the tiny ninja says, look, you know, he's still having fun, even though he's not very good at it. And so as, they, as we build to the climax of the story, Whitney has to make a really hard choice as far as doing things the way she's always done things or maybe trying something a little new. Mm-hmm. So what, what in your dream world um, would you, do you, what do you want readers to take away from both of these books, children and adults? I think primarily I want them to have fun. That I think that children's books are, such a wonderful way to connect with our kids, connect with our parents, and that these, I really try to be funny. My illustrator has just infused these books with so much life and energy and color that that's the first takeaway is that books are fun. Um, The second is, of course, that you have inside of you this incredible force that you can call on whenever you need it, that you're never truly alone, and that all you have to do is listen to that tiny ninja. And then finally, of course, you know, with Whitney, this idea that I mentioned that we get stuck in a rut sometimes. And we think, you know, in Whitney's case, she loved to win. And so she thought, I'm going to keep on winning because that's what I love without considering the possibility that there might be another way to do it, that you can, there's a different means to this end and that might be um, more beneficial to you in the long run. Mm -hmm. You know, you talked about your first takeaway was wanting it to be a fun experience and for kids to really just immerse themselves in the story and the illustrations are fun and, you know, engaging and just to have a good time while they're reading. And so it kind of made me think, you know, I had this this conversation uh, with another guest that was an author about the decline, you know, that I've seen, and I'm sure you have probably seen it, of children, whether in a, in a school setting or even at home, for whatever reason, really not having as much access to real children's literature in their hand, having books read aloud to them every day in school, which was almost impossible during COVID because the kids weren't even at school. So if their parents had time to open up a book and read to them, but you know, I was talking to a teacher not too long ago and she, a first grade teacher, which is even more sad and said, I just don't have time 
to read aloud to my students anymore because we have so much other stuff to cover. And that really sort of broke my heart to think, you know, about how we are somewhat turning into a culture that doesn't enjoy just sitting down and reading books with children anymore. And so with that being said, you know, what, how important do you think it is for students to not only hear adults reading aloud to them, but just being exposed to a variety of children's literature at an early age? Well, massively important, of course. I think that, first of all, I want to say that I completely, completely understand and empathize with every teacher, every parent, everyone who has relied on screens for the past two years more than they know is healthy. Um, I get it. We did it too. It has been an exhausting couple years, and um, I, you have my, you have my empathy. Um, so a couple a couple points to your question. One is that so we became a licensed foster family a few years ago, and um, one thing that I noticed when uh, these first two little boys came into our home, they were both boys of color. Um, one was African American, one was Mexican. I you know first of all we loved to read in our house, and we were reading bedtime stories. And the first thing I noticed was that one of them did not. He was five. He did not make the connection between what was on the page in the book and what was coming out of my mouth. He thought that I was making up stories as I went. He didn't understand reading. And um, that was absolutely astounding to me, you know, and it was really eye-opening and a great reminder that we need to meet people where they are, that we're not all having the same experiences. And so um, that was the first thing. But the second thing was that we have tons and tons of books in my house, that it's something that, you know, every scholastic book fair, we come home with bags of books, right? And I realized as I looked around that we had a real absence of books with characters of color. And so even in my own house, somebody who values books and really concentrates on, you know, making sure that we have a variety of books, you know, there was this deficit in in our house. So um, taking a look at your own library, at your own house and see what's in your house, either that you're bringing home from the library or, um, or that you own, I think is really valuable. To your second point about books and their value, you know, I think that this still holds true, that there's no greater predictor of academic success than reading, right? That kids who read from a young age and are exposed to books at a young age just do better academically. You know, up until third grade, I think you learn to read and then you have to read to learn. And if you don't have that good foundation in those early elementary years, um, it just gets harder and harder and harder. So the more we can expose our kids to books and to reading, the better. The other thing is you know, graphic novels. I am a huge proponent of graphic novels and they, I think that they're gaining more acceptance now, but there are just incredible books out there for everyone. And a lot of kids who are reluctant readers, if you put a graphic novel in their hands, they will just fly through it. You know, that they just need a little bit a little bit more there to uh, fill in the blanks. So, and then the other thing that I would recommend are uh, audiobooks. That my son, my oldest son, uh, when he had to read a couple books going into, I think eighth grade, wanted to read audio, you know, read audiobooks, and I dismissed it. I said, you know, it's a different mechanism. We're having a book in your hands and reading it is different than listening to it. So of course I looked it up, and no, turns out that. If you are listening to audiobooks, most of the same things happen in your brain as when you're reading an actual, you know, 
hard copy of a book. So if you have a kiddo that would rather listen to books rather than, you know, actually read a book in their hands, um, I'd say embrace that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Sasha, because I think as parents, sometimes we're so hard on ourselves that we feel like we have to be sitting down reading books with our kids, you know, and a lot of times, unfortunately, you know, a lot of parents, including myself at times, we just run out of time. And um, so I love the fact that you brought up that it doesn't have to be a, a, you know, a long book with all, you know, where you're spending a lot of time that if you're, if your child is interested in graphic novels or, you know, certain types of magazines that are appropriate and they're enjoying them as long as they're reading something and they're interested in it um, in the audiobooks. I mean, there's so many great sites on, you know, if you just Google audiobooks or storybooks on YouTube, you know, you could pull up tons of, of really cool audiobooks where kids can follow along with the words. So um, I love that you brought all of those um, ideas up for parents so we can kind of, you know, take it a little easy on ourselves sometimes and say instead of, well, that's it, right? Instead of watching, playing video games for 15 minutes, why don't you listen to an audio book instead? And, you know, then we can feel like we've done something really good that day. We can feel better about ourselves. Yeah, it's it's true too, that sometimes it's just that barrier to entry, you know, that once we get them just to sit on the couch with a graphic novel, then they'll sit there for two hours going through that graphic novel. But if we don't get them off the off the screen, yeah. off the Minecraft or whatever it is, you know, that uh, they, you know, it's the path of least resistance. They'll stay right where they are and we'll leave them right where they are because, you know, it's peace and quiet for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, another little trick that I found that worked in my house with my kids, because I have three boys. And so, you know, they're all about screens and sports and all this other stuff, which is great. But I finally just had to say, okay. And I would just literally plant all kinds of different books all over the house. They were all over the kitchen table. They were on the coffee table. They were on the couches. And if they hadn't, eventually they're going to pick up the books. Eventually Mm -hmm. they're just going to have nothing else to do, but start picking up books and finding something that they like. So there's definitely like little ways that you can trick your kids into picking (laughs) up books and reading and making them think it was their choice. Instead of you just saying, here, read this book, kid. Um, So brilliant, brilliant. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, Sasha Graham, thank you so much. Tiny Ninja Books, Milo Does Not Like Mornings, and Whitney Wins Everything. And I know that there is the Spanish version of Milo Does Not Like Mornings, but I can't say it in Spanish. So I didn't want to, you know, mess it up, but you're more than welcome to say it for us. A Milo no le gustan las mañanas. There you go. (laughs) That's available too. So would you tell everybody where they can find you if they want to connect with you or get your books or just chat with you? Absolutely. My website is tinyninjabooks.com and I'm on Instagram and Facebook at tinyninjabooks. Sasha, thank you so much. What a fun conversation. Um, And I really hope that everybody that's listening is going to Really, I know they're going to think today about their own little tiny ninja that they have inside themselves. So thank you so much. If that happens, it was the perfect day. And this is Christy Hull signing off for this episode of Classroom Matters.